This boy and girl are going to be well equipped when the time comes to take their places as worthy members of adult society. Aloha, y'all. Wow. Welcome to a magical one. I'm here uh, in Maui, Hawaii, with my new friend, Angel. Um, we met two days ago at a place called Eau Valley, which is definitely one of my favorite places on Earth. Typically, my advice to someone that's into breaking normal, if they fly into Hawaii, especially if it's before the sunset, I'll go straight to Eau Valley. It's close to the airport. I mean, being that high in the sky and this kind of radiation device compared to going into this mystical valley with like fresh rainwater just spill. It's like mountain peaks, like mountains peaking and like water falling everywhere. And it's really beautiful. And that water, I would say, not only is it just like biologically probably some of the cleanest water on the earth, uh, but it also has a power to it, uh, I would say more esoterically. And sure enough, it was one of the windiest days I've ever s experienced in Eau Valley, so much so when I was uh, doing some of my breath work, I was keeping my eyes open, part of the reason, because I, I was concerned about debris. It was that windy, like things were flying around. And so it was therefore much, much more chilly than most of the time. And the funny thing about this park is most people that visit there do not get in the water. I would say it's breaking normal to even get in the water. And some of the locals do that for a long time now. And they're probably amazed that all these people visit this park without experiencing the water. So sure enough, right before the park closes, I'm going into the spot, uh, the spot to get into the water, one of the many spots. And it's cold and it's kind of gnarly. Like normal people would probably be like, what is this crazy guy doing running to the water with his boxers and a towel? And sure enough, right before I get to the water spot, uh, a very angelic uh, woman walks out of the woods. And she's immediately like, I, I feel like we kind of reson resonate with each other. And she says something along the lines of like, hi, I'm Angel. What's your name? And I'm like, wow, what is going on here? <laughs> I thought this was going to be like a, a kind of a crazy solo mission. And now I'm running into this like nurturing angel, nurturing angel in the midst of it. And it reminded me of the previous episode with Greg, someone that seemingly I ran into by, big quotation marks, accident. Um, it wasn't, didn't seem accidental at all. It seemed like a divine appointment. We chatted for a while. I told her about the Breaking Normal podcast. And then she uh, definitely recommended that I interview her for it. And I was like, I'm definitely in now. Because there are some people, Angel, um, I'm happy you're here on the show and I'm happy to introduce you and tell people about you. But I'd love to start with that the courage and just the courage and the groundedness to realize that you would be a good person to interview for the Breaking Normal podcast and recommend yourself. I think sometimes a lot of people I've met, they want to recommend others for the Breaking Normal podcast. And sometimes I'm even thinking they would be a good interview, but they're not even thinking about it in those terms. They're like immediately thinking about other people that are Breaking Normal. So I, I honor you for realizing this is a good fit for you to embody Breaking Normal. And I'm curious, why do you think people... Do you think people might shy away from sharing their gifts as boldly as possible? And if that is the case, why do you think that might be? And then I would love to hear about what were you doing in EL Valley that day? <laughs> oh, thank you, Daniel. Well, what I was doing in EL Valley that day was taking a dip in the living waters. I've, every time I go in there and I immerse myself in those waters, I feel like I am being cleared and cleansed and recharged and renewed, and it's awesome. 
So that's what I was doing there because I very rarely go into Kahului. It's like another continent to me because I live on the south side of Maui. And I had some errands to attend to and I wanted to go in there afterwards to rinse off the errands and renew and recharge myself and then when I emerged from there I saw you coming in and it was just a meeting by divine appointment and as far as why some people shy away from giving their gifts there's a lot of reasons for that um, they may have been shut down earlier in their lives when they came forward with their gifts and someone <clears throat> criticized them or condemned them or diminished them and so they became protective and guarded. Uh, that's most likely what happened because children naturally share their gifts if they're not uh, held back. <clears throat> and that's, I think, a big reason why the subtitle of Breaking Normal is currently rewild your inner child to set the truth and set the truth free. Because I do agree that children seem all in on exploring their gifts and their curiosities and their voice and their emotions, and they can go from crying to laughing and laughing to screaming and screaming to sleeping within minutes. And I, I do think the delay for adults has something to do with a shutting down along the line somewhere. Did you ever feel like you had a shutting down at a certain age? And then was there a reawakening of that? And what was that process like? Because I know I'm here in your room and you have a few of your books uh, sitting on the bed and along with some DVDs that are about yoga and uh, looks like to me awakening and actualization of our fullest potential and feeling good now. The books I'm seeing, Yoga Feels Good. Seven and another DVD, Seven Techniques for Mastering Stress and Enhancing Well-Being. Then I see another booklet, 108 Jewels of Wisdom. Then I see another booklet, 108 Ways to Feel Better. So there's something here with 108 that I'm seeing a pattern. Then I see a book, Drops of Nectar, Loving Remembering, Loving Remem Reminders. Um, yeah, and there's just so much. There's so much here. Sweet remembrance. So let's talk about that sweet remembrance. Is there was there a shutting down for you personally, or a a delay? and this remembering and what regardless if that was the case or not how did you get on this path of being able to one produce all this material and then two what those that production of that material means mm, thank you well i was very blessed to have amazing parents and my mother encouraged me and uh, she loved my pocket size books and said, you know, it was one size fits all and she could take it to the hospital for a gift or a birthday or anniversary or a get well or whatever the occasion was, she could choose one of my gifts um, to uh, brighten someone's day and to enlighten their experience. And so I think in my case, I was extremely blessed and fortunate to have the support um, of giving my gifts. Um, I know not everyone is that um, lucky. And so for those people, I would just say you have to really believe in yourself and have conviction in what you're sharing, that it's based on the ethical truths that you believe and that you want to share with the world. Uh, because in my case, I definitely came to this planet with a mission or a purpose that was very clear to me, very 
early on. And it was very clear to me that I came here to tip the balance from cruelty to loving kindness. And with that conviction as loving kindness as the testing stone for truth, everything I do is an expression of how can I help the mass collective consciousness shift from this um, you could say mindset of violence and domination to love and cooperation and everything I do is in service of helping that transition to unfold Nice. And then how does, um, do you, do you find it important for you to stay true to that mission to do things such as dipping in cold water or fresh water and what other, I mean, it seems like we could get, you have books of it, but like, what are some just like golden thread, easy takeaways for people to start having that sweet remembrance to activate their life's mission? Yes. Sweet remembrance is get in touch with what is truly important to you. get in touch with what you love. So if people want to take away, I would say the first thing is make a list of seven things you love to do. Because in that is the clue of why you're here. Uh, Chardin said the most um, joy is the most infallible sign of the presence of the divine. So if you want to know your purpose, look at what you love, what you do naturally. In yoga, that's called your swadharma. So the word dharma means the way, the path, the truth, the light, righteousness, duty, virtue. Swadharma means your unique calling. What you were uniquely engineered to do, the gifts that you came here to give to planet Earth, and how you tap into what that is, is by tapping into what brings you joy, and where you're in your element, where you feel like you're in your element. When I'm speaking publicly, I'm in my element. When I'm teaching, I'm in my element. It doesn't mean that obstacles don't arise. But when you're in your element, like a fish in the water, you have the wherewithal to surmount those obstacles. So for takeaways for people, I'd say make a list of seven things you love to do and start moving on those things. Follow your joy. And uh, then uh, the way of grace will unfold and meet you and uplift you and empower you. Thank you. And I I love how uh, joy is a three-letter word. Sometimes I think (laughs) the most powerful words have the least amount of letters. Sometimes. (laughs) Um, And I want to talk about the power of words. But let's talk about the power of numbers for a second because Mm -hmm. I noticed the 108 pattern. What does the number 108 mean to you? And what do numbers mean to you in general? Mm Because I know I think earlier this morning we had a quick chat. Mm -hmm. And you said something along the lines is – 111 is your best friend. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Well, 108 is an auspicious yogic number. It's the number of beads that are on a mala bead. Um, 108 adds up to 9, 
all the derivatives of 108, whether up or down, add up to 9. So if you do 108, that's 9. If you double it, 216, 216 is 9. If you cut it in half, 54, 5 and 4 is 9. Cut that in half, 27, 2 and 7 is 9. So it's an auspicious number, up or down, that adds up to 9, which correlates to the 9 uh, holy openings or gates in the human body temple. And it's like 108 prostrations to the guru. It's 108 is a significant yogic number. And to break it down even further, what it represents, Daniel, is the one represents the one absolute truth. The zero represents the everything and the nothing. And the eight represents the infinity. So that's the significance of 108 in a nutshell. Of course, one could elaborate on that further but that's the essence of it that's beautiful it's funny i think i've i felt where you were going when i started looking at 108 beyond the literal meaning of it and i started looking at it as like the artwork of it the symbol of it i was like oh yeah zero infinity and one i'm like oh intro. Mm -hmm. so i started catching that what about 111 what does that mean to you because i know a lot of my friends talk about 111 including me yes i do too well my very um best dearest friend who lives in santa barbara Re rebecca mclean you might want to interview her her for your podcast and I love the word podcast because pod is what dolphins um, jump in and play in and cast we are uniquely cast for the role of uh, sharing in this podcast today so um, that being said um, her birthday is January 11th so 111 is a high holiday to me because it represents her appearance day on planet earth which to me is a sacred day because she is one of the most loving kind supportive evolved beautiful humorous amazing friends that you could ever have and she and I have been purpose partners for over 35 years so we get together regularly on the phone and support each other in clarifying and actualizing our goals on a weekly daily monthly yearly basis in fact every night I send her a text done when I have completed what I've committed myself to that day because you get what you're committed to and having an accountability system makes you more successful in achieving whatever is important to you in your life that's that's another great takeaway i'd say on top of the list of seven to commit to finding uh, an accountability partner a purpose partner a study buddy uh whatever you want to call it um having someone who's your cheerleader, someone who has your best interests at heart, someone who's an encourager and an expander. Like if I tell Rebecca what my vision is, not only will she hold it in the light with me and help me to overcome every obstacle in achieving it, but she will also expand it by saying, yeah, well, you could do this or you could do that or what about this angle or things I may not have thought of. So everyone should also have have a mastermind group and that's a small group of people uh, intimate 
that are in your court that are really there to help you be the best version of yourself. And those people can add their uh, perspectives. And that might be like a mini version of your design tribes, because those tribes, uh, from what I understand, having just met you, you know, a couple days ago, are precisely that they're, you know, building community with people who can be mutually supportive of one another, right? Yeah, it's a, a mastermind or whatever iteration, whatever someone calls it, uh, a family can be a mastermind, a tribe can be, y'all can mastermind as a tribe, as a family, as your, your uh, maybe your significant other can be your, uh, what you call it? Your purpose partner. Purpose partner. So I definitely encourage anyone that's listening to this that doesn't have their that in their life to take action on making that happen. Yes. Yeah. And I also have a tripod you could say with my sister who lives in New York and with my brother who lives on Maui and my brother has a nonprofit organization um, Spirit of Aloha and um, the gardens and we have board meetings on the phone once a month the three of us and again the purpose of that is for us all to support each other in fulfilling our deepest purpose in being here so we all lead very intentional lives and i love the emphasis on the very intentional because this is not someone a friend that it'll sympathize and argue for your limitations <laughs> right. this is more of someone that might argue for your limitlessness it might not be the for me it's not always the easiest relationship to ask someone to go even more or for someone else to ask me that and but it is the more expansive and it is more evolutionary so take action on that now and then do you have any like i have all kinds of ideas and it's a lot what i talk about of how to design tribes but for someone that might be listening to this and they may think that they don't have they don't know how to find this person do you have any perspective to share around that? Oh, absolutely. That person is right in your field right now. Um, all you have to do is think of someone who is like a cheerleader for you, that you can have a mutually beneficial um, arrangement where you're there for them and they're there for you. And you can um, meet with them in person or on phone or on Skype, um, on email, whatever works for you. And in my book, I actually wrote the statistics of the success of accountability by having a purpose partner. I'm not sure where that exact page is, is right now, but it's in my book, Feel Good Now, How to Feel Your Best and Have Your Best to Give, where I actually give the percentages that were done statistically of how much you succeed by having a purpose partner. And you go from 40% to 90%. Yeah, the the age of the lone wolf is, I think, getting upgraded to more like pods of dolphins. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that being said, like maybe sharing this podcast is a way of doing it. Maybe sharing this podcast with someone that you could think would be a good partner for you in this and seeing if they're a fit. Because uh, I think it's a big deal. I, that's a, at the core of what we do at the Tribe Designs is this idea that a happiness shared is a happiness doubled and that a sorrow shared is a sorrow halved and that really uh with if if you when i'm in a group of people that are willing to 
act from that belief, it's really powerful what can happen. All of a sudden, the lines between bad and good feel more like everything's good or everything is, everything is. And this is amazing to experience all waves of life. And uh, I think having this purpose partner to choose our waves wisely is a, a grand idea. So thank you, Angel, for expressing that. And I've been watching the time a little bit now that I've been talking about 111. It is 111 right now. <laughs> I think that's extra special. 111. Okay, a special shout out to Rebecca. <laughs> Rebecca in Santa Barbara. In Santa Barbara, Rebecca McLean. She's the CEO of Circle of Life, which is something that's very harmonious with what you're offering. And I would highly suggest uh, interviewing her. All right, seed planted. This is how this, this is like a definitely a mystical journey, this podcast for me, because a lot of it is I had preconceived intentions and the intention to staying open to even better than what I could have thought. And you are, you are that, and that that continuously is happening. So thanks. Yes. And um, also, while we're on recommendations, I would highly, highly, highly recommend interviewing my brother, uh, Frederick Swaroop Honig, who is the author of an amazing groundbreaking book, which is The um, Positive Proof of God, The Scientific proof of God. And so what he does is he bridges physics with spirituality. And he does that in a very cohesive, coherent way. Um, And he also has designed this 11 acre oceanfront um, bird sanctuary and certified botanical gardens in Haiku, Maui, that is a retreat center for our common share and purpose, which is to promote understanding of the vital importance of plant-based nutrition. Wow, amazing. This is so many rabbit trails to open up here. And it's funny enough, we're looking at a property right now that used to be a rabbit sanctuary. Mm. Um, that would have a very similar uh, purpose of communal living with the the common like golden thread of what it, the cutting edge of community building, and we're looking at a house in Haiku for that right now. And um, so this is extra special to me. And I'd say I'm definitely a yes to interview your brother. Maybe he's next. Mm-hmm. I, I love the idea of merging, uh, blurring the lines between science and spirit. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And you speaking of recommendations, let's um I thought we were talking about masterminding and I think the one of the persons that I know of that's the most responsible for suggesting the mastermind would be Napoleon Hill. And I for me. And I and I started looking at your website. You have some other people that I are in a similar in my opinion similar thread of Napoleon Hill recommending your work like uh Deepak Chopra and Dr. Wayne Dyer and uh I'm curious in particular in those two guys you're uh what do you what's how do you relate to them and what did they what do they mean to you and and any other uh figures that are currently here in the human form or maybe beyond that if you have any recommendations for other people to look into if they want to learn more about where your wisdom may have been inspired by, too? Well, most of my wisdom is sourced from my beloved teacher, Swami Satchidananda, who was a world-renowned yoga master that I had the great good fortune of studying with from the age of 16. His guru, who is my grand guru, Master Shivananda, 
um, both of their teachings have been extremely instrumental in the trajectory of my life's path. Mainly because when I first came in contact with the teachings of Swami Satchidananda, it resonated with my own inner truth. So I will have to say that it's sourced initially from my own inner knowing. And then Swami Satchidananda's teachings were so much in alignment with that. And then his teachings were able to carry me and escort me to the next level of understanding. So for example, I became a vegetarian at the age of 11. So when I met him at 16 and he said that yogis would be on vegetarian diet because of compassion for animals, I was already a vegetarian. So my heart said a resounding yes to that. And then he said, paths are many, truth is one. And I knew that to be true. So my heart said yes to that. And then he said, do Hatha yoga because it's good for your physical body. And I was already in the dance field. And so my heart said yes to that. And then he said, meditate because it will calm and steady your mind. And my heart said yes to that. And then he said, selfless service, karma yoga, that your life should be easeful through Hatha yoga yoga, peaceful through meditation, and then useful through service. And I knew that to be the ultimate fruit of self-care is to be of service to others. So everything he said, I won't say everything, I'll say 99% of what he said was in alignment with my own inner knowing. And that's why I um, devoted myself to that path and why I have been a yoga instructor for 46 years now and uh, a yoga teacher trainer that I certify other people to be yoga teachers and why I currently teach at the Fairmont Kealani, one of the highest ranking resorts in the world. I also served as the premier mind, body, spirit yoga instructor and stress management consultant at the Grand Wailea Resort for 17 years where on location there I shot three world-class DVDs on this topic of yoga, meditation, stress management, healthy back care, and the like. So my entire life has been shaped by the teachings of yoga. And then I imagine, I think if I remember earlier, that's when you met Deepak Chopra at the Wailea Resort and then your relationship with Dr. Wayne Dyer. How? Yes. So Dr. Wayne Dyer, we met him through the practice of meditation because my brother was teaching meditation in Lahaina. He met Dr. Wayne Dyer who wanted to learn meditation from my brother. The two of them became very close friends. He came out to our my brother's property in Haiku. It's called, uh, if you want to check it out, thegardens.org. Org in um, he came out there many times with his beautiful wife Marcy and with their children and had lunch and we'd go to the waterfalls and they would do their people pyramids. I have pictures of that in my book, Feel Good Now. And so uh, we knew Wayne Dyer very well and his whole family. 
Then Wayne Dyer gave me an introduction to Deepak Chopra, who was a friend of his. So when uh, Deepak Chopra came to speak at Tony Robbins' seminar, which was held right next door to the Grand Wailea, he was one of the keynote speakers there. And I was teaching at the Grand Wailea, and I had a personal introduction from uh, Wayne Dyer. Then I had a personal direct meeting with Deepak Chopra. At which time I gave him my books and that he read them on the plane and had his secretary send me back the endorsements for my products. And so it was through Wayne that I met uh, Deepak Chopra. Well, it's um, another pattern that I'm noticing with you and maybe many other people that have uh, followed their dharma in a way is they seem to keep uh, inspirational company. Yes. Um, and I also, you, you, the word guru versus like the word mentor versus the word coach, I'm curious like how um, that may be distinguished for you. And then also, what do you believe about that? How important is it? Like, do you think certain people hold certain powers that it's very beneficial to be in their presence? Or is it like a kind of a soul connection to, for people to find their soul family. I'm curious what you think about these unique people that are well known for being inspiring spiritual figures and that have many followers and how that happens and maybe the importance of considering what that means. Well, the word guru literally means remover of darkness or remover of ignorance. So anyone who helps to remove your ignorance in any topic could be considered a guru or a teacher. But then there's something called a sat guru. And a sat is a Sanskrit word that means truth or the highest truth. So a sat guru, like Swami Satchidananda or Master Shivananda or Yogananda or many of the other great teachers, they help to remove the ignorance or the veil of our own true nature. So uh, just a kind of guru or teacher could help be a mentor of how to cook or how to swim or how to, you know, life coaches, which I am a life coach. Okay, they can help you with different aspects of your life. But a Satguru helps to remove your basic ignorance of your separation from the divine. And that's a much deeper level than someone who mentors you in a particular skill set. Wow. And then um, on that note, a lot of the work that we do as well in our retreat is a lot about heart sync over group think. Yes. So meaning that we can get a, pe a group of people to um, stay emotionally engaged and present and loving, almost a mixture of like lo unconditional love and radical honesty that that can exist. As challenging as that may be in community, that can exist. And something we had a, um, on the car ride over here, I would love to talk about uh, the plant-based path that you've chosen and me more tinkering back and forth to, from the plant-based nutrition, or well, actually raw vegan world, all the way to uh, hunting currently, if that's something that you're open to discussing. Absolutely. Um, that is the most important thing for me to discuss and why I actually wanted to do this platform because I always welcome the, the opportunity with my core mission of shifting the collective consciousness from cruelty, domination, and violence to loving kindness and cooperation. The absolute root of that 
is in cruelty to animals. So this happened like 9,000 or 10,000, 11,000 years ago in the Near East was the first time when humans hobbled, castrated, imprisoned um, animals for the purpose of exploiting their flesh, their milk, their hides, and their labor. Up until that time, there had been a kinship between humans and animals that was um, indicated on the totem poles. When that shift in consciousness took place and became, in order to do that, people had to shut down their innate compassion to inflict that kind of cruelty on another living sentient being who has the same nervous system as we have. You know, the basic teaching, you know, do unto others as you would want to have them do unto you. Would you want anyone to do that to you? So people had to shut down their innate compassion in order to do that. And then when that shift in consciousness became the new normal, it was not a big jump then to domestic violence, to slavery, to war. And that's why we're in the system we're in today. As Tolstoy said, as long as there are slaughterhouses, there will be battlegrounds. So what I'm dedicated to is helping people to realize the impact of their dietary choices and how that affects every single aspect of creation, including their own health and well-being. So what I have, Daniel, and what I wrote in my book, Feel Good Now, How to Feel Your Best and Have Your Best to Give, is my 10 compelling reasons to choose a plant-based diet. And I think if anyone were to hear these 10 compelling reasons in this very podcast, it could really help to shift their consciousness, which would spiral up life on planet Earth for all beings, including the animals, the humans, and humans are animals, but human animals, and our precious Mother Earth that so desperately needs it. Wow, I, I am so, I'm very inspired by your inspiration on this passion and uh, being so clear about it and having uh, such powerful perspectives around it uh, for reasons why to do it and uh, what it might shift not only for the indiv- individual but the collective as well and then even ha- even having like the cooperating evidence from other amazing inspirational uh, teachers so thank like I'm, I'm stoked to talk about this thank you uh, um, the top 10 or top 10 compelling reasons is that like a bullet point list or they how how long was this something you're going to read or you just have off the top of your heart here off the top of my heart and what i would do i don't know how much time we have but i would like to give at least one um explanation of each point so that it really drives it home to someone Rather than just list what they are, if I could just elaborate even in one or two sentences for each one so it can really touch people's mind, body, heart, consciousness to catalyze a shift for them. Yeah, I'm definitely in resonance with that, and I believe that is happening, and that will happen, and that can happen. And I also want to make sure that, um, because I, I would like to ask some questions or bring up some other points about it, because I so resonate with the general theme, but sometimes I think in order for a, a movement 
it's a real movement to be happened. For instance, women beginning to vote, there or um, black women getting to be able to vote. There were sometimes people leading different um, iterations of that mission. So maybe the person that was really going for women to be able to vote wasn't really interested in, in the blacks to being voted as much, and they disagreed about certain things. But their their missions combined is what has liberated people to another degree. So I love that we are so in resonance with this theme, and I love that there's maybe a not there's like not a hundred percent resonance in certain details of it and I think that's where we can really iron can sharpen iron so I'd also like to maybe bring up my ideas around that as well and we can go down this uh this top 10 rabbit trail if that sounds good to you yes all right let's uh, let's hear it I'm ready okay number one I'm an ethical vegan, so number one is animal welfare. 60 billion land animals and over a trillion marine animals are tortured and killed for food every year. This is totally cruel. It's totally unnecessary. Most people I know have a dog or a cat or a bird or an animal that shares their home. If anything happens to their cat, you know, we have something, I live in Maui Meadows, we have something called Next Door Maui Meadows. If someone loses a cat or a dog, it's up there and you have all the whole community looking for that cat because that cat is a member of their family. Every cow, every sheep, every goat, every chicken, every animal, named or unnamed, has the same nervous system as your cat and your dog and your bird and your parakeet, your gerbil, whatever it may be. The same feelings, the same intelligence, the same need and right to have a sovereign life, to have a family. When you rip these calves away from these mother cows, they cry in anguish. If you heard recordings of those sounds, that alone would be enough to make you go vegan. And everything we do comes back to us. So we kill the cows. The number one cause of death in this country is heart disease that comes from saturated fat, that clogs up the arteries to the heart, that kills the heart, that kills the body. Every single autopsy has come out, you know, uh, saturated fat from animal protein. It never comes out. The cause of the heart attack was from broccoli, tofu, or carrots. So we kill the animals. It kills us. We rip um, animals away from their babies, away from the mothers, our families are ripped apart. We rape these animals on what's called rape racks through a perverse method of artificial insemination. Women are raped worldwide. We devastate the environment through GMOs and all these things. And then we are devastated through fires, through drought, through um, toxicity, so on and so forth. So I'm talking about the boomerang effect. So if people love their dogs and cats, they need to take off these blinders because we're talking about breaking normal. The normal cultural trance is that we have disregard for the feeling of animals other than the ones that are our pets. 
And what I'm trying to say is break normal, take off those blinders, open your heart, watch movies like Cowspiracy, Earthlings, Forks Over Knives, uh, Dominion, the new one that came out, What the Health, educate yourself to what's really going on. As um, Paul McCartney said, if slaughterhouses had glass walls, everybody would be a vegetarian. They hide away from us this horrific concentration camp-like environment that these uh, poor, innocent animals are subjected to their entire lives so that people can have McDonald's hamburgers or you know bacon or whatever people aren't realizing they're not connecting the dots of the horrific cruelty that their voting dollar is causing to these animals. So I'll just wrap up animal welfare by saying this. Every single bite you take is a vote for loving kindness or cruelty for devastation or sustainability take off the blinders, break normal, look at what you're doing, and make a more kind and compassionate choice that's more sustainable for the animals, yourself, and our precious Mother Earth. Wow, thank you. Um, so, like, in the summary, the number one, in re- that first reason is animal welfare. Yes. Is that, okay, cool. And I so you know, I, and I mentioned it briefly in the car, I've gone from the, sat, like, the seafood diet, what I see, I eat growing up like that and then going to the diet of like trying to put on protein i mean trying to put on muscle mass for my baseball career through copious amounts of protein not regardless of the source then i got led to a raw vegan diet and that that's powerful very powerful and lately i've been uh tinkering with the idea of hunting and i love the I love these powerful quotes around the ridiculousness of slaughterhouses and at the same time I um, someone I imagine like Geronimo, like someone I studied from the Cherokee Indians that could live off the land and can survive wherever they go, and I also uh, and I think about someone that took animals' lives in that way to feed himself and the tribe that he was traveling with, and then I also think about uh, dolphins that I've been surfing with dolphins viciously killing other animals. Um, I think about dogs viciously killing other animals. And I think about the animals killing animals, and that it's part of the circle of life from my perspective. And I do think humans need to wake up to the reality of what's happening in these slaughterhouses and to find out what in the heavens is a cow. Um, what, where do you, like, wh- how cows have been bred and the chickens have been bred compared to an elk in the wild in Montana mountains? I think there are two different, very paths. Like, but I think the general theme of what you brought up really I, I want more people to look into so I'm happy we got that number one I'm, I'm happy to move on to number two unless you mm-hmm. want to talk more about that topic mm-hmm. as well right well what distinguishes human beings from other animals because we're animals as well is our ability to exercise our compassion the other animals that you were saying animals kill animals they're doing that out of instinct but what distinguishes them from us is that we are at choice and the divine creator graciously supplies all of our nutritional needs through the plant kingdom. So there's absolutely no reason that holds water to take the life of an animal when you can survive and thrive and even better on plant-based nutrition. 
uh, it's indisputable evidence that our number one cause of death in this country, heart disease, number two cancer, can be arrested and reversed through plant-based nutrition. Yeah, and I think these are big, like, for me, I'm just, I want to stay truth to myself here. Yes. That I do think a certain animals hunt. It's very intentional. It's beyond just, like, an instinctual thing that they hunt. They uh, torture animals, like sea, maybe whales playing with sea lions. Um or chimpanzees killing each other in warfare. So I, I, I do think what you're saying is generally true, but there is, it's also not 100% true from what I've studied about animals only kill on instinct. And, and maybe hunting, the, the other side of that argument is maybe hunting is a human instinct. And I, once again, I think we're on the same team as like the mass factory farming and the domestication of animals and people not understanding that. I want to bring more awareness to that, and I'm happy to go down these details. I just don't want us to distract the golden thread of what we agree upon as well. Mm-hmm. Well, I think when we cover the other um, nine compelling reasons, it will be overwhelmingly clear of what is the most kind and compassionate choice for all of life on planet Earth. So why don't we proceed? Let's do it. And okay. I wanted this to really be an example. I think me and you have a, an emotional intelligence and a wisdom through our our paths yes. of how to have a conversation where we don't agree upon every mm-hmm. part of it, but we can still stay connected and find out how we still team up mm-hmm. regardless of our disagreements. Does that, does that resonate with you? Yes, I think that is a very um, beautiful way of saying that because you may not dis- you may not agree with someone on every point it doesn't mean you have to throw them out of your heart because veganism is inclusive it's not exclusive it is based on loving kindness and i don't believe it's loving or kind to disregard people who have a different point of view than you do I think that if we stay with it, and if we really give all of our convincing evidence that in a way that is heart-opening and connected, that we have a better chance of people awakening to a higher truth than if we, um, you know, just shut them out because they have a different point of view. Yeah, and that's exactly what I mean, like a heart sink over a group think. Yes. And I, um, this was just so you know personally, I've, I, I think I've overcome it mostly, but when we were eating a raw vegan diet and known to be public figures for that, and my younger brother started with straying away from that, the backlash we got from that community was uh, highly concerning, actually. Mm-hmm. I all of a sudden, even I, I, like I have this hunch that if I ever went to it, like on a vegan diet for a long time again, I might keep it a secret. Uh, there was just uh, a really um, a strong backlash like from women. They were twice as, or three times as old as my younger brother, really speaking to him like he was evil. And that was uh, – that. so I just have – I want to admit my – I have a little personal experience around that as well. Um, so I'm happy that we can stay open-hearted with each other about this topic. It means a lot to me. Thank you. Thank you, Daniel. So uh, compelling reason number two, starvation. It takes 16 pounds of grain to make one pound of animal protein. If you gave that 16 pounds of grain directly to people, there would be no starvation worldwide. 
So imagine if you're a mother in this country or in a third world country and you have a baby in your arms. Now, I know you have an adorable child, Daniel, so let's drive this home. Your adorable, beautiful child that I met on the way here, let's say you have your child in your arms and you don't have food and that child is dying in your arms and there's nothing you can do about it because well, John, well, let me just finish I just rather Wait, not. no I just want to say one thing okay. John Robbins in his book Diet for a New America said if Americans cut down their consumption of red meat by 10% world starvation could end today so that being said no one on planet Earth deserves to starve. And if a mother is holding a child because dying in her arms because someone wants to go to McDonald's hamburgers 10 times a week instead of nine times a week, they don't want, even want to reduce by 10% that could cause, you know, a worldwide um, obliterating starvation, then what does that say about our consciousness? Well, for me, yeah, this is another point of probably disagreement here because I, I don't think it's fair, uh, first of all, for to use um, to leverage the idea of me imagining something happening to my child that I don't want to drive a point home uh, of someone else's belief home. This reminds me of being a church, actually. Like, if you don't believe this, you go to hell kind of thing. Imagine your child. And I don't think that someone eating McDonald's is causing other people starving around the world. I don't think that it's like someone, I, I don't want any mother to feel responsible that if they had a Big Mac, they could have been responsible for someone else's death. That's not even in that part of the world. I do see the overall correlation of what you're getting at, but I'm, I didn't want, I wanted to say, I'm not going to imagine that about Davina. I'm going to imagine a place where food is all around me and that water is all around me because I've brought such massive awareness to where to find spring water, how to get off uh, the government, how to get off being dependent upon the government for food, that there's actually food all around us and that my daughter is like rich with nutrition and uh, the opposite of like hungry for food, but more hungry for passion and very nurtured with the nutri nutrients and beyond. That's the imagination that I'd rather choose for my daughter. Well, I definitely want that imagination for your daughter, Daniel, and I want that for every child on planet Earth. And if everyone goes vegan, every child can have what you imagine for your daughter. I, and I love that you are preaching that, and I'm not, uh, I'm not um, convinced of it. Okay. And I love that you are preaching it in such a powerful, vi vibrant, positive way. Yes, uh, this is a dynamic conversation. And yes, I want that imagination for your daughter and for every child on planet Earth. So we agree on that. And I have the absolute methodology for that to occur and for that to occur in our lifetime. So shall we proceed with the other reasons? Number three, okay. here we come. Number three, and you might have to break this into two podcasts, you know, if need be, but... Uh, I think if we stay uh, kind of efficient, like okay, as best let's as stay we can efficient. to get that two o'clock, we'll be good. We'll be okay. good. Okay. righty. So number one is animal welfare. Number two is reverse starvation. Number three is reverse water shortage. For 40% of the world is facing water shortage. Over 50% of U.S. water goes to animal agriculture. If people went vegan, then let me give you a concrete example. It takes 2,500 gallons of water to make one 
pound of animal protein. It takes 250 gallons of water to ha have one pound of plant protein. And so whenever you eat a vegan meal, you are saving hundreds of gallons of water. So if everyone went vegan worldwide, we'd have no water shortage for anyone. So number one, animal welfare. Number two, reverse starvation. Number three, reverse water shortage. And this one's another just a fun um, tangent. If anyone that's listening to this knows of any towns in the world, particularly the United States, that uh, is allowed like they're, they're the city or the county or the municipal municipal supply is not adding white powder to it um or yeah if they're not if they're not treating it beyond a uv treatment i'd love to know that town i know of mount shasta um, but i'm curious about other towns that uh, are that speaking of water situations number four reverse deforestation so trees are the lungs of the planet. When trees are destroyed, life as we know it on planet Earth is destroyed. So all these thousands and thousands of um, acres, 80% of all deforestation is attributable to the meat, dairy, and egg industries. Why? Because they clear these forests for two reasons. One is to plant, feed, crop, and one is for grazing animals for food. So if people went vegan, they wouldn't be cutting down the um, forests, the rainforests, and we could reverse um, deforestation and replace it with reforestation and then there will be much more oxygen rich environment for everyone on planet earth and also for the species of life that live in that uh, in those forests. I think of the movie uh, Fern Gully, uh, Pocahontas and Avatar. Those all tell the story I think of what you mentioned if anyone wants to learn more about that they're beautiful movies as well i'm ready for number five I like number this list. five is reverse global warming so there's this up in arms about global warming the entire issue could be reversed if people went vegan because 51 percent of all the greenhouse gas emissions come from animal agriculture so why is that because cows give off methane gas which is one of the top um um, toxins that contributes to um, global warming as part of their digestive process from all these imprisoned animals and all these factory farm location concentration camps for animals. They also um, emit nitrous oxide, which is um, even more potent than methane gas in terms of polluting the environment for greenhouse gases. Um, the animal agriculture greenhouse gases exceeds every single form of transportation. So people talk about getting a Prius or this or that. You know, if you take all the transportation combined, cars, planes, boats, airplanes, motorcycles, trains, whatever it is combined, all of their electronic emissions their greenhouse gas emissions is less 
than what comes from animal agriculture. So if people went vegan and didn't have these horrific concentration camps for animals, they were giving off these huge amounts of methane gas and nitrous oxide, there would be, we could reverse global warming within a very short amount of time. Yeah, I'm curious about this idea. Um, if, say, everyone in the world tomorrow yeah. went vegan, right. and or let's just say they did a vegan diet or a foraging diet, hunting wild, foraging food, foraging for food only, so all factory farms are gone, what happens to all of it? Has anyone ever had um, an idea about what to do with all these animals? Well, what would be what all would happen to all the cows and sheep and chickens yeah, and well, pigs? Well, all and, these animals are bred. That's why they're there. So they would basically live on for one more generation. Yeah. And, okay, that would be that idea. Okay, I was just curious when I've never thought about that exactly when someone else was talking about it. So I thought that's fun to think about. Are we on number five now? Is this number five? We're on number six. Number six. Here mm-hmm. we go. Number six is reverse pollution. So 80% of all water pollution is attributable to the meat, dairy, and egg industry. And that's because the excrement from these animals in these imprisoned concentration camps, because just to keep them alive, they are shot, sprayed, and fed uh, antibiotics and pesticides and herbicides and all kinds of toxic substances just to keep them alive in these horrific conditions. All of that comes out through their excrement, which is 120 times more than the entire human population excrement, goes into our water untreated. So anyone who likes to swim in the ocean, surfing, you were mentioned, going with dolphins, anyone who likes to drink clean water or go under waterfalls, we were talking about Eyal Valley on the beginning of this call, you know, if you... Um, eat food that is using your voting dollar to contribute to cruelty to animals, to devastating our Mother Earth, contributing to the greenhouse effect, to deforestation, to pollution, then we're not living in congruence with what we say our values are. We need to take off the blinders, see the cause and effect relationship, and make some more conscious choices. And it is my hope that by clarifying these points, it will open people's eyes to the power that they have with every single bite they take. So number six is reversing pollution. I love just like the idea of each bullet point. The I love the outcome of it, and um, I would I, we could probably go back and forth all day if that would actually be the outcome and if it, how to actually make that happen. And I'm excited for number seven. Okay, number seven is increase energy. So all this talk about the um, shortage of energy. So if people, and I will talk about both environmental energy and our own individual energy, um, environmentally, if people would go vegan, um, I'll just read you something from an excerpt from my book right here. So animal protein production requires eight times as much fossil fuels to produce than a comparable amount of plant protein. The SAD diet, meaning the standard American diet, accounts for 33% of all fossil fuels used in the United States. 
the glad vegan diet, opposite of sad diet, is the glad diet, meaning the global loving kindness ahimsa diet. Ahimsa is a Sanskrit word that means non-injury. That's the basis of all of yoga practices. Um, would cut our oil imports and would increase the supply of renewable energy such as wood and hydroelectric by 120%. So there would be no energy shortage worldwide. And in terms of our personal energy, when we are ingesting the biochemistry of misery and terror that goes into these imprisoned animals, tortured, murdered animals, our own energy is compromised because we have epidemic levels of people with anxiety and depression and sleeping disorders and um, obesity and all kinds of problems that are a direct result from ingesting the biochemistry of misery and terror that's afflicted upon these innocent, beautiful, living animals. Yeah, I um I haven't visited many factory farms. One of the things when we stopped eating a vegan diet, we started visiting more kind of permaculture setups and people. Maybe they were inspired by like Joe Sullivan or Michael Pollan. Um, and uh, yeah, I've been I've some of those animals. I'm I know I can listen to you reading that, and I I bet that's the case, especially with these ridiculous. Like once again the craziness of the factory farming, um, especially with these animals that are shot up with hormones and take care, it takes so much manipu manipulation to keep healthy. That's a very different scene. I've seen uh, animals that look like they're thriving and healthy and happy on many farms, uh, but they're more smaller farms and local farms from like community neighbors with huge hearts. And that's also one of my, that was on my journey that how I became less rigid about an exact formula for everyone with a, a diet. I think a lot of that, my flexibility around that came from interacting with these farmers that are feeding their families and their neighbors in a way that seems much more harmonious than a movie like Earthlings would show. So I also want to share that because I have many friends that are farmers and they farm animals and they farm turkeys and they farm fruits and they farm vegetables. And uh, I think it's done in a very compassionate way that is, is good for the community. Well, let me say that the mass like over 98% of meat comes from factory farms. These backyard operations are a small minority. Let's put it in context first. Secondly, every single undercover video of these so-called compassionate backyard operations shows horrific cruelty to animals. Even if it's people that you know, it's still based on domination and violence. Ask those people two questions. Ask them what happens to the babies of, like if they have cows for milk, for example, what happens to the babies of these animals? How do they get um, impregnated? In order for a cow to give milk, they have to be pregnant. Ask them what happens to the cow when their milk production sloughs off. When you really look at it deeper, Daniel, you will see it's based on 
violence and domination to exploit another living being for something that we have no need for. In fact, it's toxic for us and harms our health, both physically, emotionally, psychologically, and ecologically. I was more visualizing when we actually took the turkey's life on my friend's farm. And I, you know, I've been involved in taking a few animals' lives for food. And more recently with this hunting um, expeditions that, I'm, that I've gone on that I've planned. And I, I, there's just like a few things that I think that I'm not either it's like philosophically grounded in when I'm hearing you say like this is all toxic. Because I've eaten like the same diet as my brother's. And sometimes he seems to get unhealthier, and I got healthier. And then if, if he eats a diet, and this is my brother with own genetics, almost doing the same activities at certain times of our lives, it seems like some people thrive more than others on animal proteins. And that's why I, I think it's sometimes more individual than just this is a one-size-fit-all solution for the world. Um, and I, I really encourage people to consider what both me and Angel are expressing and figure out what your truth is and to go ask those farmers those questions. It might be illuminating and enlightening. Go ask. Maybe taking a turkey's life might change the game for you. Maybe you'll become an advocate for uh, factory farming or maybe you'll never eat a bite of meat again. Like I don't know exactly and I don't know exactly how to say what's healthiest for the person that's listening to this other than to keep exploring like with a flexible mind and an open heart and being willing to tell the truth to yourself and hear the truth from others and uh, yeah, keep exploring this out loud. I, I just am not, um, I'm also thinking there's a lot of anthropomorphization going on in the sense that we, uh, the one thing that humans can do that I don't know if other animals can do is project their consciousness onto that other animal. And I think a lot of what um, the ideas that you're talking about are based on that, uh, us imagining we know what how the animals are experiencing this. Well, anyone who has a pet knows that animals have feelings. That animals oh, I'm not denying animals have feelings and personalities at all. I'm not denying that at all. But uh, I don't know. Like these animals that I've seen in these farms, they don't look like they're being tortured. They actually look quite happy. Oh. I, but I have not visited... Like these are both projections, you know. I've not. I'm not talking about the factory farms in Texas where there's a thousand cows in an acre. I'm talking about like there's a couple cows, and that they might milk them seasonally, or they have turkeys that are running around free until it's time for dinner. Um, they don't. They seem pretty legit. Like they, I've seen those t same animals in the wild. Like when I see turkeys in the wild versus those farm turkeys, I'm like, I don't know which one's better. And I remember a book, Life of Pi makes a, in the beginning of that book is a pretty fun depiction of picturing animals in a zoo as like how humans go on vacation. Um, and I, I'm not saying I agree with that. That's just a part of it. That book is much more than that. That's just one part of the beginning, how I experienced it. And it's reminding me of that. I'm not certain if these animals experience it the way that you're imagining. And I'm loving though that you, you're sharing these imaginations so passionately. And I think we're almost at 10 and it's almost two o'clock. So I want to make sure we get through the whole list if that's possible. Yes. I think loving kindness is for me the testing stone of truth. And to take the life of another loving being when we absolutely have no need to do that to me is not a loving and kind act, especially when we realize the ramifications of it on all these other ecosystems and all these other support systems upon which all of our lives depend. Now I will go into 
uh, number nine and number ten very quickly. So number nine is eliminate modern day slavery. Most people don't realize that there's more slavery today than there is in the 1800s because there's a lot of this child trafficking and these, you know, young brides, which is another way of saying sexual slavery and so on and so forth. Um, so what happens, because we have very little time, I'm just going to make this very concise. Animal slavery, animal liberation leads to environmental liberation, leads to human liberation. And if we had more time, I could connect those dots a little more specifically. But in light of our time frame here, I will just say that the consciousness of violence and domination is what causes modern day slavery. It has its root in animal agriculture. We've all been herded in this direction. This is a herding culture. And I don't fault the people who haven't awakened to this yet because this is what their parents have told them. This is what their clergy people have told them. This is what the media has told them. This is what they've been socially indoctrinated to believe. They're just following orders until they encounter a podcast like this or a movie like I mentioned or a book like Dr. Will's Tuttle book, Diet for um, of the World Peace Diet or John Robbins' book, Diet for a New America. When you come across something that helps you to put on, and this ties in with our theme of breaking normal, what I encourage everybody to do is put on your critical thinking hat and put on your compassionate heart hat and really explore these issues and you will come if you really listen with your heart you were talking about heart sync if you really listen with your heart the outcome of this choice would be a no-brainer so number nine is to reverse modern-day slavery which has its root in animal slavery. And number 10 is, it's the right thing to do. It's the right thing for every single aspect of creation. And I want to just read a very short excerpt from my book, Feel Good Now, How to Feel Your Best and Have Your Best to Give, which summarizes all the previous points. What goes around comes around. We kill animals, we die of heart attacks. We force feed animals, we suffer with obesity. We ingest the biochemistry of terror and the misery from these abused animals. We suffer from anxiety and depression. We rape animals through forced artificial insemination. Women are raped worldwide. We milk animals with painful electric machines. We suffer with breast cancer and contaminated breast milk. We abuse animals. We suffer from domestic violence and war. We devastate our environment, GMOs, water shortage, pollution, deforestation, and climate crisis devastate us. We rip away animals' babies hours after birth. Our families are broken apart. The good news is, Daniel and all of our listeners, this is reversible. 
by replacing the mentality of domination and violence toward animals with loving kindness and cooperation. Animal liberation lives to human liberation, um, becomes environmental liberation. It is high time to take off the blinders, connect the dots, and go vegan. That's my message. And guess what? How long we've been doing the recording for? One hour and 11 minutes. That's exactly right. Okay, we got it. We fit it all in. Congratulations. And thank, <laughs> okay. thank you so much for your passion and you uh, screaming it from the mountaintops. And, yes. and in a way, it's not like screaming. In a way, that's like gracefully evangelized in a harmonious, angelic voice. So <laughs> thank you. I, I, I'm so thankful for that. And I... um. For me, I'm a bit of a linguologist, so I want to remind everyone those we's don't have to be your we. You can shift that. You don't yes. have to partake in the we-we society. You yes. can do a choice that's breaking normal and transcend culture, and I believe that is culture. Like Culture is like water, and it's like emotions. It needs to be always in movement, constant motion. Stagnant water is where it gets polluted. Stagnant culture is where it gets polluted. So let's keep breaking normal. And for me, this has been a real breaking normal experience because I like, there's so much that I just don't uh, believe about the, about like the exact causation of what you're saying. And I, and there's so much I agree with. There are great strategies to wake the fruit up. And uh, that's a, that's a thing that my diet, I think what we are sharing in common in this podcast here is that I think we're both choosing to believe that we're eating the best diet for ourselves and for the planet. That's what I believe. And I think that's what you believe about yourself. Yes. I believe that if we wake up from this cultural trance, uh, to put it in your terminology, breaking normal, let's all wake up from this cultural trance. Let's take off the blinder. Let's use our voting dollar to support loving kindness and sustainability. Yeah, and I highly encourage, I, um, if anyone's curious about like my beliefs about my diet, I, I have an awesome um, chapter in my book. I think it's called, I think it's called Everything is Natural. It's in the Breaking Normal book, so I encourage you to check that out. But for, and for like, uh, as a summary for me, I, I, eat, I hear you that we don't need, I don't think many people need to eat meat. Um, however, I have found that certain foods, including certain meats and, and procured in a certain way, especially, I feel more power. I feel more thriveability. I feel like I can be the best version of myself. So I want to be clear for my diet. I want, I choose to eat in a way that I think will make me or catalyze me to be my most fully actualized and realized play, like person I can be. That's in the best state they are, they can be. And that's only getting better. And that might not look like angels diet. And that might not look like your diet. And I trust that no one's listening to this and is going to try to copy my exact diet because that might not be what's best for you. Um, keep exploring the truth and keep talking about it. Please keep accurately report what's happening for you so we can learn from each other rather than regurgitating someone else's ideas or rather than um, just looking at numbers and thinking that means something to you personally. I, I'm, I'm very curious when people do the exploration for themselves and I can learn from them. And I'm so happy that you've been doing that this for so long, whether it's starting with yoga, starting with your, uh, your path of uh, food choices and telling others there's another way, bring, lifting the veil off people's eyes. And uh, 
Yeah, I'm stoked. I'm stoked to keep synergizing with you and, and everyone that's listening. So leave a review. Let us know what you believe about this. I know it's a hot topic. Where where do you where's your heart in it and where do you think what do you think? I'm curious about how you feel about this topic and what you think about it and what maybe you agree with or disagree with and what we can do about it. What are the solutions? What are um, because that's where if you if someone's feeling like they're bored or they don't, they don't want to be working for someone else, come up with a solution for some of these situations, and you'll have one of the biggest like, conscious capitalistic businesses ever known. If we can clean water, we can get more clean food to more people in less uh, torturous ways, less violent ways, or without violence. Let's talk about it. All right. Much love, y'all. Thank you, Angel. Thank you, Daniel. This boy and girl are going to be well-equipped time comes to take their places as worthy members of adult society. Aloha, everyone. I trust y'all are so enjoying these transmissions, becoming more of an in a state of awe, more in a state of joy, bliss, blessed. The attitude of gratitude is growing in you. You're becoming a magnet for unavoidable success more and more every day. So you're experiencing life in the most heavenly way you ever have now. And that it only gets better from here on out. That's my prayer for us. And that we're uh, giving our gifts generally, generously, generously. That uh, our cups are spilling over. And if we want to get something to give it. I'll probably leave this outro the same for my episodes I'm recording out here on the Big Island. Because honestly, wow. It's been a lot to keep up with, with traveling with uh, our baby and Deanna and all these different climates. Like literally someone can drive to snow, to the beach, to the desert, to valleys, to rivers, all in one day on this island. And with my ambition for adventure, it's been pretty, it's been a pretty fun opportunity to stay grounded and also prioritize this podcast and my other projects that are built around my passion. Um, if you want to team up with me right now, I think our number one offering I'm most excited about is uh, on February 22nd, we'll launch our next tribe design facilitator training for up to 22 people. And that will, uh, that what that looks like is a month long virtual training. It's awesome. Life changing. I mean, if you're attached to seeking affirmations for your limitations, or are you looking to surround yourself with people that don't hold you accountable to your highest, it's probably not for you. But if you're ready to go all in on your dreams and start living like today is the best day ever, and we're not sure how many days we'll have, but we're willing to go all in in the meantime, this is for you. If you want to cultivate the art of being able to design a tribe wherever in the world you go, that you just become a magnet for connection and that you understand how to connect people, even if they don't agree with one another, able to uh, basically be a catalyst for heart sync over group think. If that's something you're looking for or being able to re facilitate retreats that get you paid to share your passion in a way that feels good and makes like money more clean in my opinion. I think a lot of people think money is dirty because they're trading their time doing something they don't want to do to see numbers move on their screen. And that's one of those moments I would ask you to ask how much is making this money costing me? How much is saving money costing me? And tr just to treat money as there's no shortage of it because in reality money is made up and how can something made up be scarce? So I trust all these podcasts and transmission are getting you to go all in on your dreams and passions beyond your stories around money, time, or space because those seem the cultural norms that most people are ready to break through to start living a more liberated life rather than under someone else's ploy. 
So if this resonates with you, go ahead and send your application in today at internationaltribedesign.com and one of our awesome team members will get back to you to explore if you're a good fit because if you are, we want you to start running retreats around the world, designing tribes based on what lights you up the most. Build the people and the places will come. And that seems to be a real reality here. While I've been out here in Hawaii, so many people want to show me their the land they're stewarding, the retreat centers they're building, the ideas around designing functional tribes that are thriving rather than the vicious circle of some of the cultures that are not working. It's been such an inspiring trip, and uh, I'm, I'm wanting to team up with the people that are taking the time out of their day to tune in and listen to these ideas about Breaking Normal. And if you're ready to take action, hit me up, breakingnormal.com. I trust if, if you're feeling the call, we'll see you in Austin and uh, we'll get you trained to start facilitating your own events and maybe some even tribe designs. That's what's happening in Austin. Three people that have gone through the program are actually facilitating this event. And our intention is to show up as either supporters or uh, special guests, but more as a, a as experiencing the experience as an attendee like maybe you who's listening will be so if you're ready to celebrate life in a tribe design in one of the greatest places on earth the greatest time to be there i'm trusting i'll see you in my inbox or i'll see an application from you and we'll get ready to party in all the cool ways all the ways that make everything better this is not like an experience of what happens in vegas stays in vegas it's like what happens at a tribe design upgrades everything forever Hmm. aloha y'all keep breaking normal